Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe, and you're listening to an episode of the Princeton University Press Ideas podcast, which is brought to you by our friends at Princeton University Press and the New Books Network. And today I'm very pleased to say that we have Jack Zipes on the show, and we'll be talking about a book that he translated and introduced by Felix Zalton called The Original Bambi, The Story of a Life in the Forest. I should tell you before we begin the interview that I I grew up in the American Midwest and I did a lot of hunting when I was young. And I I didn't really ever look at things from the animal's point of view before I I read this book. And I don't think I've ever seen the 1942 movie Bambi, which I don't understand how I got through American youth without never seeing Bambi, but I don't think I ever did. Anyway, Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me, Marshall. Certainly. Um, could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Uh, well, I'm a, a professor or was a professor of German at the University of Minnesota. And before I came to the University of Minnesota, I taught in uh, Munich, Germany. Uh, all, all of this was in the 1960s and 1970s. And after teaching there for about five years, I uh, returned to New York and taught at uh, NYU from uh, 1978 to, uh, uh, excuse me, 1968 to 1972. And then uh, from New York, I went to the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and taught there for about 14 years, went to finally to Florida and taught there uh, for, at the University of Florida uh, for about three years. And that was a time when I had married in Milwaukee a young woman uh, from originally from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she loved the Midwest. I, as a New Yorker, uh, had troubles. <laughs> I had a lot of troubles living in the Midwest and uh, was very happy to go down to the University of Florida uh, but my wife uh, experienced uh, several, uh, let's say, encounters with rednecks uh, in uh, in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, one one of them threatened her with a gun, and and we received all sorts of phone calls uh, that made life there uh, rather difficult. And she more or less pointed a gun to my head and said. <laughs> We are going north. I don't care where we go, but we're going north. And uh, I said, okay, I'll go to a modern language uh, association conference and seek a job. And lo and behold, I got a very good offer to go back to uh, the Midwest, even though uh, I did have at the same time an offer to go to Boston to MIT, but uh, my wife again overruled that and said, yes, we are going back to my home state. And uh, so from uh, approximately uh, uh, 1980 until I retired in 2008, I've taught German and cultural studies at the University of Minnesota. I uh, also directed a, a storytelling program at the Children's Theater Company of Minneapolis. Uh, I did a great deal of writing and speaking about folklore, but also about critical theory. Uh, I'm not just 
a, I'm not really even a folklorist, although people think I am. Uh, and I have a great interest uh, in children and socialization, how to, what types of books children read, uh, how children can become storytellers of their own lives. So that's basically what I've been doing in the last, uh, say, from 2008 to the present. I've been publishing. I also began publishing books uh, in my own small, tiny publishing house called Little Mole and Honey Bear. And I direct a, uh, a series at Princeton University Press called... Um, uh, what is it called again? I'm forgetting. And, uh, odd, oddly modern fairy tales, uh, and have have had wonderful editors and and myself editing uh, these books that people don't know about. These authors who who wrote oddly modern fairy tales in the at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, I don't think many. I, th- I think many, most of the listeners. To, to this podcast and other podcasts on the New Books Network don't know how peripatetic the lives of most academics are. I mean, people ask me, where have you taught? And I say, where haven't I taught? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, we do, you know, particularly uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, really, uh, ac- the academics had, had generally came from wealthy wealthy families. And, and it was, for instance, when I studied at Dartmouth College, uh, for uh, most of my uh, professors were, had not published much. They were from the sort of Gentile class and didn't have to worry about money or anything. And it wasn't really until the 60s uh, that, uh, uh, first of all, the humanities at universities were recognized were given more recognition, and uh, superb scholars developed during the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, and you're one of them. So, um, could you tell us how this book came about? Yeah, yeah. It was all serendipity. Most of a good deal of my work is serendipity. That that something happens that I didn't expect, and I'm somewhat opportunistic, and then grab hold of this opportunity. Well, uh, this was a strange uh, uh, sort of, let us say, encounter with a publisher at one of the MLA conferences uh, who came up to me and said, "Um, you know, in uh, 2021, uh, it will be the 100th anniversary, or 2022, actually, will be the anniversary of uh, Felix Salton's Bambi. And would you like to do a new translation and, and look into this? And I said to him, what, Bambi? <laughs> that's not even, that's not a fairy. I, I, I shouldn't, I don't want to really waste my time doing this. And he said, yeah, please. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. So I went home and at one point I, I said, how? Yeah, why did he ask me to do this? I should look into this. I had really no knowledge of Bambi. This is about four or five years ago. And uh, so I decided in my spare time to look into uh, Bambi. And first of all, I discovered that Disney was not the writer of Bambi. 
Felix, Felix Salton, right? You know, uh, a a an Austrian Jew who uh, really had quite an interesting biography, and I also learned that Whitaker Chambers, a communist, American communist, right, did the first translation in nineteen twenty eight. And I began looking into Salton. Uh, I bought a biography about him. I looked at the uh, translation and saw that it was sloppy and really did not capture uh, the original German. And uh, I decided that this is going to be a, a, a really important contribution uh, to to literature, to the history of literature, and particularly the history of so-called children's literature. So uh, I then approached my editor at uh, Princeton, and Savarese, who is really great, a great editor, and she said, oh, Bambi, yes, do it. (laughs) I said, are you sure, Anne? And she said, yes, go ahead, go ahead, you have my blessing. And uh, so that's how it started. And the more I investigated, I spent a, a good year or more doing research and, and the translation and realized that Whitaker Chambers had no idea of the Austrian German, the way Austrian German is much different than high German from Germany. And so uh, it, uh, it, it was uh, not a terrible translation. It came out in 1928. And he was lucky because the Book of the Month Club <laughs> decided that they would publish Bambi. And uh, uh, that's how it became fairly famous in America. And But immediately after uh, the uh, Whitaker translation and later on the uh, uh, Disney film, uh, Salton's name and at an intention in writing the book uh, were at, were sort of erased from from history. And uh, so it became more and more important for me to uh, really write a good essay at the beginning of the book, pointing out how uh, Salton, who who had experienced tremendous anti-Semitism in Austria, how that was totally uh, omitted uh, from any any histories or anybody writing about Bambi in America, and and really the book is a, a serious um, analysis, a prefiguring of the Holocaust in a, in a very unusual way. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody who reads anything, and I hadn't before I read this book about Felix Salton, it would get their attention because he he was a very unusual person. <laughs> you don't meet people like this. So let's talk a little about Felix Salton. Can you? You know, he has this hybrid identity. He's Austrian and Hungarian and Jewish and Viennese, and and he wants to be an aristocrat and a very unusual guy. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about him and his background? Yeah. Yeah. His family came from Hungary uh, originally. And when he was about three or four, uh, he, he had, by the way, uh, uh, three brothers and a sister, uh, so a fairly large family. Family uh, was a, a not a religious Jewish family, even though they, they came from a, a long history of rabbinic uh, uh, families. And uh, but uh, 
the father was more or less an engineer and businessman, and they moved to Vienna. This was a time when, when actually a, a good time for for Jews in in most of Central Europe. A lot of restrictions uh, were lifted so that um, there was a huge uh, sort of migration of Jews to uh, the large cities like like Vienna, but other other Central European cities. So they settled there, but the father lost a good deal of his money soon, and they had to move to a proletarian section of Vienna uh, where... Uh, uh, the Jews were sort of uh, abated and uh, sort of denigrated by uh, there were fights or even the teachers sort of uh, treated Jews uh, in a bad way. So that by the time uh, he turned 15 or 16, uh, uh, that was a time that Salton, who had changed his name, by the way, his their original name was Siegesmund. And so, so Salton... In, in order to sort of fit in, had cha- began when when he became interested in literature and began writing um, at the beginning uh, at the end of the nineteenth uh, century. Um, he uh, uh, then uh, learned went uh, went to a cafe which were, which was a center of of European Jewish well Viennese Jewish writers uh, a, a lot of them extremely. Uh, like Hugo von Hofmannsthal, some of them weren't weren't even Jewish, but they went. This was the cafe where you could learn anything and everything. Uh, uh, Karl Kraus was there, also uh, Arthur Schnitzler, uh, playwright, and so on and so forth. And he was he uh, was an amazingly bright young boy at that time, and did he was self became self educated, worked for an insurance company, and eventually began writing for newspapers and became one of the foremost journalists by the beginning of the 20th century uh, and uh, wrote essays, books, tried to uh, plays, you name it. Uh, he tried, and, and also uh, erotic, he wrote an erotic novel, uh, or one could say pornographic novel to me. He was interested in making money. He became very interested. He uh, to, he admired uh, these cultured, very cultured, uh, wealthy bourgeois uh, <laughs> writers and artists and wanted to fit in. And he also wanted to fit in with the Gentile class. So, and you could understand coming from the the, the really, one could say, uh, deprived. He had a deprived childhood and wanted to fit in and be accepted in Austria. Uh, he married a wonderful actress in, uh, uh, in 19, uh, 1902, and uh, uh, her name was Otilia, changed her last name to Salton as well. And he uh, made a great deal of money before World War I, uh, and uh, used to like to go hunting. That was, uh, he loved animals, and, and even though he loved animals, and he always had dogs. Um, he uh, also loved hunting, killing uh, uh, deer and other animals uh, at the same time. So he was a contradiction. He's a, a man with tremendous contradictions. And 
uh, during World War One, he uh, actually uh, at the beginning uh, was behind the German and Austrian uh, troops, and then eventually was uh, introduced to Marxism, and uh, uh, and then became an admirer of Lenin and uh, and the communists in Russia. Uh, and so by 1919, uh, when the war ended, he was uh, somewhat of a liberal. Uh, he, he took a trip to America. He took a trip to, he was publishing all over the place, a lot of stories. And finally, in 19, about 1919, I would say, because it took him about a year or so to write Bambi, it came out in 1921 in a newspaper and was quite a very serious philosophical novel. Uh, there's a chapter in Bambi about leaves talking to one another uh, about uh, existence and, the th and, and why they were alive, what happened to them after they fell from a tree. It, it was a, bri a brilliant novel that he wrote that was clearly a novel about minority groups, and particularly Jews, and uh, the way they were born to be killed. Uh, and particularly, and that was, one could say, fairly true <laughs> during the pogroms that were going on at the beginning of the 20th century or at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, and in general. And it's, it's clearly a, a novel, uh, a serious novel about... Uh, uh, how lonely, how uh, the solitude of, uh, I would say, Jews, but not only Jews, but other, you, you, depending on how you want to interpret the novel, uh, about other, other groups. And it came out and was a very big success uh, in 1922, uh, 23, um, a huge success in German. Uh, in, <laughs> not only in, in, in Austria, but in Germany, and in 1928, uh, Whit Whitaker Chambers then did his translation, uh, and um, and that uh, created a certain amount of fame uh, for uh, for Salton, but not for really Salt, but for, for Bambi. And in 1930, an MGM di uh, uh, director by the name of Franklin uh, Sidney Franklin. Uh, 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 cheated, I would say, uh, <laughs> uh, Sultan. At that time, he didn't. He wasn't worried about money too much, and he sold the rights to Bambi for a thousand dollars. This is a, a the rights uh, that enabled Disney to make billion millions or billions of dollars. You know, in in the uh, by the end of the twentieth uh, century. So. Uh, uh, Bambi then uh, uh, left his hand, so to speak, and uh, and Salton's uh, dream of becoming uh, an Austrian or part of the nobility, or at least treated like a noble uh, nobleman, uh, went down the drain uh, because of the uh, the, uh, the annexation of uh, Austria by Hitler in 1938, at which time uh, uh, he used his connections. He was definitely going to be uh, sent to a concentration camp, but he used his connections to get him into Switzerland with his wife. Uh, 
And so from 1938 until his death, he lived there. And uh, in 1942, he was a, a fairly, it was a bad year for him uh, because his wife died and he was very devoted to her. And it was the year that um, uh, Bambi was shown in Switzerland in a, a cinema and he went there and at the end of the film, uh, he people clapped. Uh, he was an old. He was old before his times. He wasn't in good health, and he appreciated that. But he always said that uh, to people that uh, privately that uh, this uh, is a cloud over my name, and uh, he didn't really appreciate the film for making huge changes. Huge changes that, uh, of course, he couldn't write too much about it. And, and at, at any rate, he was, uh, uh, it was his last years in Switzerland. He would li- died a very lonely man in 19, uh, 1945. So that's sort of the, the background. I mean, did, uh, did go on to make millions, if not billions of dollars uh, uh, because of the a big campaign, the money that Disney had. There was, uh, uh, it was a very sweet, uh, terribly sweet, pervertly sweet film uh, that uh, people rejoiced in seeing. uh, And it was very optimistic. Whereas uh, in the, in in, in Salton's, uh, in Salton's uh, novel, uh, uh, Bambi uh, is very lonely at the very end. He, he doesn't marry Faline. Faline may have been shot to death in the forest. Nobody knows, but he, it's, it's a, a film, really a, a book about, uh, also about loneliness, about uh, how isolated uh, one is in a world when one is born to be shot, born to be murdered, born to be hunted. So, that's sort of the background. Of Thank you for that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the book itself, because not to put too fine a point on it, it's a strange book. Animals talk to one another, leaves meditate. Uh, I, I can't recall reading anything like it. I, I'm a European historian myself, and I was trying to think of analogs. I don't know, Animal Farm, that's later and a very different tone. But how did he get the idea to create this kind of allegorical, is that the right word? Yeah, um, is it metaphorical, uh, not novel. Where? Did, how did he get the idea that like animals should talk to one another and stand in the place of humans? Yeah, yeah. Th- there are in, in at least in Europe, uh, there there is a novel that came out in English at the end of the nineteenth century uh, called The Red Deer, um, and I'm pretty sure he must have. Uh, I mean, he read English and spoke English. Uh, he may have known that, but at any rate, by th- there there were a lot of story uh, writers, by uh, also in England, uh, who had uh, these allegorical wrote wrote uh, fables, so to speak, uh, in which uh, animals talked. I mean, we we have a tradition anyway in fairy tales where animals always talk, <laughs> and and of of course. Everybody is sort of conned into, you know, or enjoying the fact that these animals talk. But we do also have a sensibility. We're not 
dumb ourselves, dumb creatures. And so we know that these animals stand for something else, right? And uh, so it wasn't strange uh, for him to have, he, he wrote about 10, 10 books with, uh, even be, before Bambi, he had written already written two or three books, but uh, after Bambi also, he continued writing animal stories. So I, I think that readers, uh, uh, at least in the uh, 20th and 21st centuries now expect animals to talk. Yeah, I think they do. <laughs> so there's, there's been a change, and, and so it's accepted. But I also think that if you read the novel and see the film, you see the contrast uh, that uh, the animals uh, are sort of like the Viennese chatters. I mean, Viennese German and the Viennese themselves are ultra polite and, and, and yet will send daggers at you at the same time in the language that they use. Uh, I, I lived, you know, for five years in Munich and spent a lot of time in Austria. And it's the same is true with the Southern in Munich and, 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 and Vienna is that the language is ultra exaggerated, uh, uh, wonderful because it's, it's sort of like, sitting in a, a cafe and listening to uh, these uh, chattering people, animals are chattering Viennese. And so um, I think there's no difficulty in, in really grasping what he was at. Uh, and, and I think there's no doubt in my mind, at least, that his intention was to reveal the loneliness of people who are ostracized and uh, and people who were hunted down. Mm-hmm. Did, let's talk a little bit about its reception in Austria and Germany. And, and did people get that? Did they see the allegorical oh, yes. part oh, of it? I mean, oh, I'm were sure. there reviews I, that said, "Look, this is about Jews." <laughs> well, I must say, to be honest, I haven't read the reviews yeah. from that period. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I would say that it's quite clear that the, the first of all, the Viennese. Uh, in looking at the German of uh, uh, Salzmann, would immediately recognize themselves. <laughs> they, I mean, the magpie at the very beginning, who's such a chatterbox, and 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 uh, and uh, Bambi's uh, mother is uh, trying to get her out, get her away, and finally the magpie gets very says, <laughs> "I'm going to leave," you know, and and. It's that type of uh, German and, and situation, or I would say Austrian uh, situation. And uh, there's no, like in the film, uh, there's a sweet, all the name, all the animals come and they're rejoicing. And he's called a prince from the very beginning. It's so stupid, the beginning of Disney's film. It's, it's like embarrassing. It's really embarrassing if you do a comparison uh, to the beginning of, of Disney's film and what uh, Sultan was trying to do. He was, he's trying to show that here's a mother who's just by herself, given birth, and doesn't want anyone really to come. And, uh, and basically, she begins his education, which is an education in watch out, you know, don't go to, you know, these certain areas. Yeah, yeah. So, 
I, I did some research, as one does, very, very internet-y. And I read that some people call this one of the first environmental novels. That's not the sense that I got at all. So can you talk a little bit about how it's tagged that way? Yeah. Yeah, not not really. Not at all. It's it's not an environmental, nor is it an animal rights novel. No, I mean, it's not. No. And, and, uh, and basically, like I said, basically, I think it's, it's a, you could say it's a Bildungsroman. Yeah, you know? we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, wanted and, to, I can just jump in right there. It is a little bit like a Bildungsroman, but it's a really rough Bildungs. I mean, it's really not, it is not pleasant growing up as Bambi. <laughs> right. That's why the novel is so important, because, because uh, uh, Zoltan, Zoltan does show how children, okay, uh, uh, have a rough, uh, and particularly children from, you know, a uh, who were Jews or uh, children from a minority group, have a hugely uh, difficult time in 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 the in their lives in a forest or wherever they are. The forest can stand for a city as well, um, and uh, this is you know typical of some of the great. Or Bildungsromana in 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 Germany. I think that in one sense, I won't call it a the great great Bildungsroman, but it definitely is one of the significant Bildungsromana uh, in 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 uh, Austrian German literature. Uh, it, it's written extremely well, and uh, uh, and clear, so articulate that you that uh, children or young people would have no children recognizing. How what a difficult time uh, uh, poor Bambi had, and and that he ends just all by himself. He's he he's become like the father, so-called father that he had, uh, a, uh, a a a man who has uh, really understood what life is about and how difficult life is. And and Bambi internalizes really the lessons from the very first moments of the novel and especially when his mother's killed. And that is what life is about is watchfulness. That's it. (laughs) You just have to watch out all the time. And Bambi says, yeah, this is what you have to do. This is your life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and there's that horrible episode with his cousin uh, being captured, you know, by the hunters and, and then later let go. And he believes that his masters, his former masters, are wonderful yeah. people, and of course he gets shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a sober story, is what it is. Yes. Not like the Disney film. The Disney film That's is not great. a sober That's story. A, yeah, a great, great way to call it a sober story. Yeah, it really is. So let's talk a little bit about some of the. I, I found it bizarre that Whitaker Chambers translated it. <laughs> Do you know why Whitaker? Ch- I mean, is there no. it, what what made him think this would be good for the uh, why? <laughs> no, I, I I have no idea. He uh, I I did a little research on on him, and, uh, and basically he had uh, in the twenties uh, translated some other uh, was a an apprentice of some kind in in uh, in publishing houses in New York and uh, that he spent some time in Europe. But I, I uh, uh, 
really have not done yeah. as much research as I should have done on him. But well, I didn't want to make, make him the focus of... Right, of course not. I, I just found it so strange to see... I mean, I was reading through the book, and I, there's there's Whitaker Chambers' name. I'm like, wow, well, how did that get there? You just don't expect to see Whitaker Chambers in a book like this. But there right. he is. Yeah, the ironies. Yeah. There are ironies. I, 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 I don't know how, how he came across... Uh, you know, the Bambi German, he did spend some time in Germany, but not a lot, not a lot to, to really, uh, he, he did a very good job. It's not a terrible translation, but it is faulty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you do the best you can. And I, I, you know, that, that he did it at all is something that I will file away in my mental index card and just like just bizarre facts about Whitaker Chambers. Um, So in the making of the movie itself, Salton had nothing to do at all. I mean, he just sold the script and that was it. Right. He and then it was Americanized. The right. right. He had no idea. I don't even know whether he had any idea that the, that the novel uh, was, you know, was, was even being made. Uh, Disney was very occupied uh, with 1937 Snow White and Seven Dwarfs came out. So that was his first major animated film. And, uh, and evidently, uh, uh, Disney was uh, charmed uh, uh, by, uh, <laughs> by by the translation and and uh, Sidney Franklin and uh, and so then he turned uh, at at thirty nine he began working on a uh, or assigned his artists to begin giving him drafts of how they would interpret this novel. He was Disney was somewhat of a I wouldn't say an animal rights person. Uh, he, uh, some people have written about uh, Bambi as animal rights, but there's nothing to no, show that the no. novel is an animal rights uh, novel. No, there isn't anything in it like that. I, that's why I was, when I read that it was an environmental novel, I'm like, I don't get that <laughs> at all. I get the Bildungsroman part and I get the kind of school of hard knocks part. Uh, yes. But the, but it, and there's a long tradition of that. Yes. Uh, but not not the environmental part. Now, then, right. uh, I was interested to read that the book was, if I remember correctly, banned by the Nazis. Yes, yes. Why? <laughs> Except that he was, he was Jewish. Jewish. They, they knew he was Jewish. They, they had the big book burning in 1932. Uh, he had several big book burnings. I think it was in 33. as soon as Hitler assumed power, there were uh, 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 stores were were stoned and uh, windows broken and uh, books also and any author who is Jewish uh, the books were uh, piled up and burned in in various towns in Germany and and later Austria, which is just bizarre because by this time you know it had been a very popular well selling novel yes. in Germany and it was probably beloved by lots of Germans. Yes. And it was, let me just make this clear, it was not thought of as children's literature at the time no. there. No, no, not at all. Not the way we think about it in any way. This no. is not for no. kids. Yeah. No. no Actually, it's funny because my 14-year-old my, my, my 14 year old daughter just said she read Animal Farm. And I'm like, really? Yes. You read Animal Farm? <laughs> it's not great. for 14-year-olds. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. I was like, I really thought, this is not for kids. Why are you reading right. this? Yeah. Right. Um, 
So it's been lovely talking to you about the book. Uh, we have a traditional final question on the New Books Network, yes. and, and that is, what are you working on now? <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on quite a few things. As, as I said at the beginning, uh, I founded my own uh, publishing house in uh, about two years ago, and I've already published a fi- about five books that are similar, in a sense, to Bambi in that they're really not for children, they're both for children and for adults. Um, and I'm, uh, these are books uh, mainly from the interwar years that I'm republishing. Uh, and uh, they deal, for instance, one of the books is called Yusuf the uh, Ostrich by Emery Kellen, who, by the way, is a Hungarian Jew who fled the Nazis, came to America, and is one of the great... Uh, 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 artists uh, 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 or political, actually uh, a political, uh, ca- he did political uh, characterizations that uh, were world, world renowned. And he wrote uh, a couple of novels that, that deal with fascism. And I've published one called Kedel, uh, or All You Want to Know About Fascism. Uh, I'm working now on uh, with Ralph Brandt. Uh, a great uh, surrealist uh, artist who uh, uh, did illustrations for several books, fairy tales in the 1940s. Uh, That book should come out next year. Uh, And I'm also doing uh, a whole series of books by a woman uh, by the name of Roma Wilson, who wrote, who, who did three collections, sort of like Andrew Lang in 1929 to 1931 called Red Magic, Silver Magic, and Green Magic, filled with uh, amazing tales. So all of these are, are in the works right now. And I'm, I'm hoping uh, that uh, these books that I just mentioned will be out uh, uh, by June. And uh, as I said, I, I've already done about four or five books like uh, uh, one is called The um, Magic Herb. Uh, another is called uh, Teddy the Refugee Mouse. And uh, yes, it's, it's a wonderful story about a mouse who, during the bombing in London in the 1940s, t- uh, his family, he lives in London very happily and gets a lot of cheese and things there. And But the family decides to move away from the bombing and go to the country. So he, he jumps in and has to uh, uh, sort of, he's a refugee. He's sort of like an immigrant who has to make a place for him in, uh, himself in the country. So all of these books have a, uh, I would say, a political uh, let us say, signification. And uh, that's what I'm doing now, uh, happily uh, editing. And then uh, with Princeton, I'm publishing a book of my essays, uh, which will come out in the fall, I hope, uh, fall of 2022. We'll have to come back and talk to us about that. Love, I'd love to love to do that. Well, Jack, it's really been lovely talking to you about this book. And um, thank you very much for being on the show. Right. Thank you very much for inviting me.